What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Husband and Wife Talk Podcast. My name is Corey. My name is Alex. Pardon my stretching. And I'm very excited today. We have uh, a good friend of mine. Charlie Rosen is here. Charlie is a multi-instrumentalist, composer, orchestrator for Broadway, film, and television. He plays over 70 instruments, was written about recently in the New York Times, and uh, very excited to be talking to him today. Charlie, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. We've been uh, very excited to chat with you. Um, you and I have worked together on a ton of different projects, um, but before we get into any of that, we usually do a quick little Wednesday wisdom. I'll go first. Uh, my Wednesday wisdom is uh, get yourself some house plants. Uh, I've really enjoyed having house plants uh, here. They like I wake up in the morning, I get to see how much they've grown, and we even planted like some sunflowers out in front of our house in this like little dirt patch that we have and those are starting to come in it's just i don't know it's it's an odd way to find joy that i've really been kind of into lately i also think we can't really go outside as much as we want to these days so it's nice to kind of bring a little bit of the outside totally it is really fun to watch the sunflowers grow outside also because Anytime someone's just like hanging around this tree where we've planted it, I'm like, don't touch my sunflowers. <laughs> and there's really no, no way to monitor it. Yeah, yeah anyone yeah. can just come by and rip it up. But fingers crossed, no one's done it yet. Yeah. Do you have a do, yeah. like? Do you have a curb your dog sign on it as well? I mean, we, oh, should. we should. We should put one on there. That's a good idea. Curb your dog. Don't touch my fucking sunflowers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. What about you, Alex? Um. Mine, I'm, I'm going to, she's going to go I'm heavy. Gonna, I'm going to go a little crazy here. Um, my Wednesday, <laughs> my Wednesday wisdom is to vote for Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> Please. Oh, we're begging you. I woke up and I've been trying not to look at social media when I wake up, but I, um, did this morning and I was reminded why I don't like to look at social media first thing when I wake up because someone had posted a little thing that said um, like eight reasons why you need to vote for Joe Biden. And it was, like, of course, because we would get the first female vice president and the first female vice president of, of color and all that stuff. But more than that, it's like he, Joe Biden can appoint and remove all the awful people that Trump has put into place. So and I just get enraged because like I understand that people are not happy with Joe Biden as the choice for the Democratic president. But at the same time, like, I'm sorry, but you have to suck it up because if you vote for anyone else but Joe Biden, Trump is going to win. So get off your high horse, suck it up and go to the polling yep. place because. Yep. There you, you go. To. You heard it here first. So, so <laughs> not first, but you know. <laughs> so that's my Wednesday wisdom. Boom! <laughs> Mic drop. What yep. about you, Charlie? <clears throat> oh wow! Um, not to put two you on the spot. very different yeah. Uh, yeah. Wednesday Get wisdom themes. Vote for Biden. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I feel like actually, good Wednesday wisdom is uh, piggybacking off something you were just saying before, Alex. Is that like not looking at your phone first thing in the morning is probably a really good piece of wisdom. Yeah, uh, you know, for a while I was, I, I still am getting that like daily New York Times morning update thing. You know that it started mm-hmm. out as being like, here's coronavirus news that you need to know, and I said they sent it at like six or seven a.m. Mm-hmm. And so I was reading it first thing in the morning because it would be on my phone. And now it's still happening, but it's expanded to just whatever's going on. And if I if I look at that first thing in the morning as soon as I'm when I open my eyes, it just really sets me up for a sadness <laughs> for the rest of the yeah. day. Yeah. So I've, tr- yeah. I've tried and I failed a lot, but try to set a rule where it's like I'm not gonna look for at least an hour. I got to give myself an hour. Yeah. Of just like awake time before I'm able to mentally fortify enough to handle that. Yeah. That's, that's actually very really smart. really good advice because I was just telling Alex this morning like I have this like quiet rage sadness that's like kind of just lingering because i don't know what's happening you know and i feel like a lot of people probably feel that way especially freelancers we're just like yeah 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 so (laughs) trying to freelancers in the arts especially yeah what are we doing what What are we even doing yeah um but i feel like the mental diet is as important as you know physical diet or like anything like that so that's that's 
that's actually great advice and uh thank you for sharing totally. i would want to i would actually want to segue into you know you talked about being a freelancer during the pandemic what have you been up to what how are you keeping yourself busy well i'm really lucky because before all of this happened i i luckily had a skill set in place that was going to really lend itself to this environment and that skill set was being able to uh, have the technological skills to produce record and work from home as a musician you know, which involves uh, a lot of things that musicians kind of take for granted, which is like, you know, knowing how to use and which kind of microphones are going to work and owning them. Uh, yeah. The equipment that will plug into your computer, knowing how to edit and record audio, knowing how to create, uh, you know, tracks and create audio and produce music. I mean, like computer technology, music skills that uh, before this, not every musician was required to have. And in fact, tons of musicians texted me in the first two months of this being like, what do I, what I need a microphone now, right now. Like, what should I buy? <laughs> what kind of microphone and interface do I need? Should I get logic? I only have garage band. I only have my iPad. I only have my phone. People right. are asking me to do this stuff and I, I need just guidance. And so I've helped a lot of people learn how to do that. And luckily I just had an interest in doing that anyway. And as somebody who produces a lot of music for various mediums and Broadway and TV and film, those are skills that you have to have. Uh, and luckily right. that's kind of, in the past six months, the only way that we've been able to quote unquote play music, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Yeah. And so luckily I've been able to do that. It's not a replacement for having a bunch of people in the same room together, but it, at least it's allowed me to, you know, somewhat uh, make some money and pay bills, especially at the front end of this when everybody wanted to do all these online concerts and produce all this content. It's really slowed down quite a bit because I think everybody has fatigue of watching uh, musicians in boxes on Zoom, you know? Right, mm -hmm. right. We're yeah. all a little burnt out on that. Uh, so hopefully we get that vaccine soon is all I'll say about that, but it's kept yeah. me afloat. So that's good. Yeah. You know, there's something magical, uh, about being in the room when the music is happening. Yeah. Um, I was lucky enough to film something recently with, uh, someone who's written for Broadway. I was, I'm under an NDA and I can't say it, but uh. she is like a very famous Broadway composer, uh, not, not composer, but songwriter. And she was in a room with another musician and they had all these Grammys in there and, and they were just two people, one on a piano, uh, both of them singing. And it was like, they hadn't been with another musician in like six months. And they like both started crying at the end. They're like, I haven't played live with anyone. And a whole lot of what you do, at least the, in my work with you has been like this eight big, eight bit big band project where there's tons and tons of people shuffling in and out. And you really kind of get a sense of like, how important it is to be in a room with other people and like collaborate and like that the the I always like try to explain this like being in a room during those recordings it's it's so interesting to capture because like the temperature of the room and the humidity of the room and having all these people breathing in there it's like very dangerous for corona Horrible. but like <laughs> you can't really replicate that at home or you know in a in a in a box so to speak I yeah guess. you really can't i mean and i've noticed from doing a lot of that recording from home that like certain types of instruments they just don't play the same if they're not in the same room particularly string players i've noticed you know you can get away with like instruments like drums you can play alone you bass and, and rhythm section you can kind of get away with it horn players even to a degree like especially if you have sort of like one horn player playing a bunch of different stuff, they can like, you know, play with themselves. But something about strings, when you record them all individually, they just don't sound good together. They have to be there and listen to each other. They always listen to each other. They tune to each other. You know, their instruments don't have keys that tell them what notes they're playing. They're just like a stick that you run your finger along basically. And yeah. so there's no guidelines. So they have to listen to each other to know where ex the minutiae of where to put their fingers. They like, they balance with each other for the notes. And when they're not, they're doing that. They phrase totally differently. They're tuned differently. Like it just doesn't, it's just not the same. <laughs> just not How the same. are you combating that? Do you have like one, like, uh, I guess, forgive my lack of uh, vocabulary, but like, would you have someone that's like a first chair player play? And then you send that to someone. Yes. That's the way. And wow. then they, so you're doing it one at a time. Yeah. And I do that with horns and that really works again with, with strings. Yes. That, that helps a lot, but it just, for some reason with strings, it doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> sound, it doesn't lock in. I don't know what it is exactly. Mm. And also the thing about strings is like, this is a little getting into the technical of it, but like one, you know, to compete against the sound of one trumpet, you need four violins. You know what I mean? Right. So like, 
to not have them all in the same room doing it at the same time. It's like the more people you add, the more variation there is. And when they're not all doing it at the same time and linking up in the ether, you just yeah. like, there's too many variables. Yeah. That's such a, that's such an interesting argument for being in the same room with. Yeah. yeah. It's like a, wow, it's like wow, a spidey wow. sense that musicians have <laughs> yeah. just like glues together. Yeah. yeah. Um, can we backtrack a little bit? Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into music and kind of your musical journey into composing and orchestrating for Broadway and for yeah. the eight, I always get tongue tied, eight bit band. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Big yeah. Band. Big band. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you want to hear from like day one of my life yes. or from like professionally? Okay, day one of life. Yes, yes. Be- <laughs> only, Alex doesn't only know you because, like I know you. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. I mean, only because I've heard a lot. We can talk about it if you want, but yeah. the project you guys are working on, I've heard some of the things that you've talked about and right. I think it's fascinating cool. and amazing. So I want other people to hear about Great. it. Great. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, my parents are both musicians. So when I was very young, when I was like age three, my dad and mom figured out that I had perfect pitch, which is the ability to uh, recognize and, you know, and and recognize a note and recreate it without any reference. So the same way that people can like look at a color and say, that's the color red, I can Mm -hmm. hear a note and say, that's the note G sharp, you know, so a thing like that. Um, And they figured that out at age three. So they started me on piano and my mom was my first piano teacher. My mom plays a bunch of woodwind instruments, all like all kinds of horns uh, and some piano. And my dad plays piano and organ and banjo and guitar and accordion. Uh, And so they were my first teachers. Uh, At some point I took flute lessons and and, and as a kid and I didn't like it. At some point I took cello. I didn't care for it at the time. Uh, but it was important that I took those for a few years for my future. I, I continued to play the piano. And then when I got to like age 10, I wanted to be in bands and like play music that me and my friends liked. So I started playing the guitar mm-hmm. and you know, we started bands. So I was playing, we were all swapping around we're playing bass. I'm trying drums, getting all that stuff together. Uh, I ended up going to a music high school with a big jazz program, uh, and a big musical theater program, even though I didn't do any of it. Surprisingly, I only did jazz and I was playing drums. I thought I was going to go to college as a drummer. Uh, around that time I started taking like composing and arranging lessons from a jazz pianist uh, and I was getting into brass instruments at the time ended up going to Berkeley oh so that when I was in high school I worked on a show uh, in LA called 13 the musical that ended up transferring to New York to be on Broadway so I moved to New York when I was 18 to do that show oh, wow wow um, and then were you I, still in high school so I just graduated just I mean graduated. when it started okay. when it started it was in LA for like two years like it started uh-huh. its its process there so it like we did like a workshop development version of it as a sophomore then as a junior it was produced properly like in a public performance in LA for like six months then I gra- I was a senior and I graduated and moved to New York so I moved to New York uh, when I was 18 and then I ended up going off and on to Berkeley School of Music while still working in New York uh, doing shows uh, and it was around that time that I just started like telling people, Hey, you know, I'll do, I'll do horn arrangements for your album for free, you know, just to get my stuff out there. I will, I'll play in your band. I'll help you like organize your band, you know, sort of pl- planting the seeds of like, I will be a music director. I'll be an arranger. I'll be a composer. Mm-hmm. I'll compose, you know, I'll come, I'll produce your tracks, you know, for your album, for the studio. I'll write out your music. No one's ever written it down. It needs to be written down, whatever. Yeah. Uh, just like doing that kind of stuff. And then, uh, started doing other personal projects that would continue to get my name out there as a producer. I started doing more big band stuff for Broadway. I started a thing called the Broadway big band before the eight bit big band, which was all theater music. We were in residency at a club called 54 below that got my name out there and just slowly over time built up, you know, I was scoring friends in indie, indie films and, you know, it just kept rolling and I kept learning new instruments and uh, just doing new things and more and more Broadway shows were coming my way, luckily. Then And um, yeah, here we are. Dude, you know, now I'm doing TV stuff, uh, film stuff. It just kind of the snowball kept rolling. What yeah. was uh, what was one of the first shows where, that you were able to work on that you were kind of like, oh shit, like I'm in it now. I'm doing the thing I've wanted to be doing. Has that happened yet? Or was yeah, there a no, moment totally. where you're like... <laughs> I mean, he's, as he looks at his at his back wall full of full of posters. <laughs> well, you know, the first couple Broadway shows I did, I was playing in them, you know, and performing in them, which was really great. And I love playing and I never want to stop playing. But I guess the first time that I had actual like input on the music creative team where I was contributing music to the show, like orchestrations and arrangements, I guess would have been uh, so actually interestingly enough i mean i did one man two governors which was a show that came from london and i was the music director 
Uh, but then right after that, as a result of that, I got a gig. I got this gig composing music for a Broadway play. So that would have been the first time in 2012 that was sort of like, this is really what I want to be doing is writing music gotcha. and, you know, yeah. contributing as part of the music team as opposed to just playing, which, you know, I love playing, but uh, I think my real calling was like creating and yeah. composing. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, so a, fr a friend of mine and we were talking about um, Hamilton because mm -hmm. we're both very much obsessed with the show and the music yeah. and he was saying like oh he was he was watching this video of the composer and then we were going back and forth whether the composer and the orchestrator are often the same person mm -hmm. if they're different mm -hmm. can you talk about um basically i want you to settle this argument yeah. for me no that's a <laughs> that's a really really good question and like a lot of people don't even know enough to ask that question that's a great question um, yeah so you know Okay, I think to properly answer that question, you have to kind of go back a little bit to the etymology of those two words, right? Please. So in musical theater, we call the person who writes the songs the composer, which mm -hmm. is in this context is a holdover from opera. And when a composer would write an opera, they would sit down, write the whole opera, write the whole thing, top to bottom, every instrument, the, you know, the, the melodies, and they would have this score and they'd say, here's my opera, do it, it's done. <laughs> that's and then that's not how broadway evolved broadway yeah. shows evolved to be produced incredibly quickly to be con at the time so they would have these composers that were you know really in reality songwriters they would write songs they'd play the piano and they'd write songs right and mm -hmm. they were like early pop music writers from the 20s and 30s tim pan alley you know george gershwin and they'd write songs and then because of the nature of how fast broadway shows need to be produced they needed help to flesh that score out quickly because they had other responsibilities developing the songs in rehearsal and they couldn't be tasked to just do everything, right? So they would hire the various arrangers to help them and an orchestrator, its full title used to be orchestrating arranger. So there was mm. the orchestrating arranger, the dance arranger, the vocal arranger, you know, these were people who would flesh the score out, write the vocal harmonies, write the music that would, that would become choreographed to like dance breaks. And mm -hmm. they would help the composer flesh out the score as these arrangers, right? Incidental mm -hmm. arranger would be like, if they needed scene change music, someone would write that. So there's a lot of Venn diagrams between all of those positions, you know? So what the orchestrator does now, and just by the way, theater and film scoring are like the only two industries in music in which we still use the term orchestrator. Because what an orchestrator does is they flesh the score out, right? It's essentially, if somebody writes a song on the guitar or the piano, you can call that like a line drawing, right? So that's like somebody sketched a line drawing. And then the person who illustrates the line drawing and colors it in, fleshes it out, maybe touches it up, gives it dimension, gives it color. That's the orchestrator, right? So they gotcha. take yeah. all the colors of the instruments they have at their disposal and they, they flesh out the rest of the image. Uh, the thing about that and the beauty of, of what that means as an orchestrator is they can also like, they're responsible for the sound, the genre, uh, all these other things which they can just take this line drawing and like totally manipulate it any way they want yeah. uh, to be anything they want. So, that, you know, <laughs> in effect, you know, if you didn't feel like as an orchestrator, you were also a composer, you probably wouldn't be a very good orchestrator because you're writing all these other lines. You're writing yeah. all these parts for all these instruments, all based around sort of the, the thesis of the of the song, of the melody that the composer has written, but filling in all the details. So what that means is that the composer orchestrator relationship is really tight because mm -hmm. you know they both carry equal weight about the sound of the show and a lot of times not all the time so this is where it gets in the answer to your question mm -hmm. i've encountered this a lot there's a spectrum of composers from the the spectrum being like sort of the least music literate like they can write melodies but they don't know a lot of chords they can't they don't they don't have a lot of technique on the instrument they play they just give you like the barest possible you know, thing and like that's a, there's a skill to writing a melody. So I'm not knocking that whatsoever. Or they don't read music. They can't write music. They just they, they sing and they hum into your phone. And the orchestrator does everything else. They write the chords. They you know make the bass line. They do everything. And that is more composing than it is orchestrating. It's yeah. both really. So like some people are like that. Some some and I've worked with people like that. They sing demos in a garage band. They layer their own voice, and you translate it right. And so. 
On the other end of the spectrum, you have composers that are incredibly musically literate that also orchestrate and they will give you like a fully fleshed out sketch with all with a lot of instruments in it already and say like, I want this to be a woodwind line. I want this to be a horn line. I don't care how you assign the notes, but I know that I want these colors, you know? Hmm, so there's a really wide spectrum of how composers work and orchestrators need to fit and enhance whatever the sort of uh, level of musicianship or representation notationally these people have, right? So sometimes composers also orchestrate their shows. And composers yeah. like Jason Robert Brown, or a lot of the times orchestrate his own shows, like Parade. He orchestrate. Oh no, uh, no, that was that was Don Sebesky. He did uh, Bridges of Madison County. He orchestrated. And he won a Tony for the score and the orchestration. Um, but most of the time, most of the time, I would say composers fall kind of right in the middle, where they like mm -hmm. have technique on their instrument and they can write and read music, uh, but. And they can do a little bit of arranging and a little bit of orchestrating, but they, they want someone else to do it for the sake of time. And they know that somebody else can do it uh, more fleshed out and better. So yeah. Yeah. most of the time, 90, I'd say 75% of the time, the composer is not the orchestrator. But they have yeah. an insanely close relationship, which is why Lin-Manuel Miranda always uses Alex Lacamoire to orchestrate all of his musicals because Lin's sound is Alex. Like they don't, yeah. they don't you know, that is that sound. And Lynn obviously did a ton of legwork and he wrote all that stuff. He wrote everything. But like any of the sort of like the string lines you hear, the, the stuff in between, the, the, the horn lines, the grooves, the production, that's, that's Alex and Lynn's working relationship as yeah. a unit, you know? Yeah. yeah. Very much like a, like a director cinematographer relationship. Where exactly. Like, you know, totally. Yeah. It, yeah. it really is. That's a really, really apt comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for that uh, <laughs> lesson. <laughs> yeah. Totally. I talk about this that a lot. And also, again, we don't use orchestrator in other types of music production. But, like, if you're producing a track for whoever, a pop artist, you're also orchestrating. Yeah. You're, right. like, you're picking the sounds and you're assigning the sounds. We just don't use yeah. that word. That word is kind of old-fashioned outside of Broadway and film. I kind of yeah. love it, though. I love the word. I like yeah. When I tell people what you do, I say, yeah, he's an orchestrator, he's a composer, he's a, he's a songwriter. Because when I was first introduced to you and Corey said that same thing he's an orchestrator I just imagined it was like oh he's the person that does the conductor, does this right. <laughs> the yeah. conductor right. so then when I learned more about it I was like oh yes 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 it's yeah. more it's more it's a niche term like, yeah and it's yeah. also it's really specific because people use the word arranger a lot to mean orchestrator yeah those two words if you've ever heard oh I'm, a, I'm an arranger i mean in jazz when we talk about no one uses the word orchestrator in jazz even a ton of work it's like oh i'm an arranger and you also orchestrate yeah. but you don't say that yeah, yeah. interesting hmm. uh, i want to talk a little bit about uh eight bit big band which is kind of my first introduction to you when we started working together mm -hmm. i've worked on i've had a hand in almost every single eight bit video that you've done and they've they've just been like wildly successful where did the idea to do vintage video game music come from totally maybe you can like talk a little bit about that it's really a specific time and place this is i li really like telling this story because it, it was really like an aha moment basically three years ago me and my girlfriend spontaneously decided to take a trip to japan because we saw really cheap tickets on some site and it was like you know a 500 hundred dollar round trip ticket to japan we're like well shit we have we why not wow. why not do it you know <laughs> so we took a 10-day trip to japan and while i was there i thought you know i really want to buy like a traditional Japanese instrument while I'm here. And we were staying in an Airbnb in Kyoto and we happened to be on the same block as this traditional uh, Japanese instrument store that's been open for like 300 years. You know, it's very cool. So we went there. The guy was so nice. I speak very little Japanese, but I could communicate enough with him to say like, oh, I'm a, you know, I'm a guitar player. I want to learn the shamisen. Um, and can you help me buy one? And he was very incredibly nice and super helpful. And I bought one there. And my friend Zach Zinger, who plays in the 8-Bit Big Band, is, uh, is a, is a, uh, he plays the shakuhachi, which is a traditional Japanese flute. He studied it in Japan. He has friends there. And I posted a picture of me with a shamisen on social media. And he said, oh, you should take a lesson with my friend Oki-san. He's, he's, he's uh, really cool. He loves sharing this music. He loves teaching. He's a great guy. Let me hook you up. So we got in touch on Facebook, and I went to this guy's house in Tokyo. And he gave me a really cool lesson for like two hours on shamisen and koto and like all these traditional melodies and it was really cool and i saw on his floor he had this video game soundtrack for this game called gambare goemon which is not really released in the u.s except for one version and i said oh i really love that soundtrack i think that's a really great game he said oh you know this game that's so cool let me give you a gift and he brought out a copy of his album and his album is 
uh, traditional Japanese music ensemble. So all traditional instruments that he plays in, but it's all video game music. In fact, this album was all Mega Man music. And wow. so I was like, wow. Wow, that's so awesome that you do that. That is so cool. And so I was listening to it on the flight back and it was sort of like, I could do that. I want to do this. This is so cool. <laughs> like I love video game music and I, my thing is like big band and large orchestra arranging and like, that's a great thing. And the branding is so good. It's called Famikoto. Cause in, in Japan, the Nintendo is called the Famicom, like family computer. And he plays oh, the wow. Koto. He plays Koto, which is this Japanese uh, sort of like zither. So he calls it Famikoto. I'm like, oh, that's great branding. Oh, that's and, awesome. And uh, I was like, I, I just really want to start like a video game music dedicated pops orchestra. You know, I was thinking more about it and seeing like this void in the marketplace. There's tons of video game music orchestras, hundred piece orchestras and choirs that play very serious, like symphonic video game music. Well, yeah, from, like know, Zelda, Final Fantasy. Yeah. Final Fantasy, Zelda and like Assassin's mm -hmm. Creed. And that's amazing. But there is sort of like a lack of like a video game pops orchestra that's lighthearted with soloists and singers and jazz and like. Uh, you know, improvising and uh, like the like you know the New York Pops plays a night of Cole Porter like but the video game version and so yeah. that's what gave me the idea. It was uh, this guy's <coughs> incredible lesson in Japan that I happened to get hooked up with gave me the seed of the idea for that. Wow. That's such a great and it's turned into such a like a fun community of people. You know, I saw um, I kind of like chimed in while you did your your uh, your AMA on Reddit. And like some of the questions were like so like heartfelt and like well thought out, you know, people asking you about like, like these young kids that are like, oh, I'm, I'm a bass player. I like want to get into orchestration. And like, yeah, it was really cool to see you respond to these kids because I could tell like it really meant a lot to them. Totally. And I think that the the community of the 8-Bit Big Band has been the the coolest thing to kind of watch prosper and grow. And you just hit 100,000 subscribers, which is a amazing yeah like, congratulations wow, on that yeah it's i never would have imagined i mean i didn't know going into this but as it turns out i found out quickly there is like a huge ferocious hungry and incredibly supportive community for video game music huge and yeah. really amazing and they come out they support they watch they come to shows they go to festivals for video game music they're they're it's huge wow yeah it's been really fun working on all these, all these, and like kind of creating them with you, and and seeing the the final products be pushed out there. It's it's truly like a sense of uh, a source of pride. Uh, I know we've taken you know a ton of pride in making them, and I know yeah. and I know that you do as well. And I just it's such been such a rewarding collaboration working with you uh, on those, and which is like yeah, man. I mean, which is also like why you know we're you and I are working on uh you know the kind of this docu series project, and it's there's so much you know, even in just working on that with you and like watching you interact with other musicians, you kind of just like bring this knowledge and, and like, you know, energy to, to all these, uh, to these rooms and stuff. And I like want people to see that and like share that with them. Um, but it's, yeah, I'm, I'm always like fascinated when I get to be in the room and watch you compose and orchestrate. Do you have like a, I mean, I'm, and I know that people have like asked you this question a million times, but like, how do you approach picking a song? I know a lot of people have input, myself included. I've, I've said a million times, totally. like, I want you to do, like, a certain uh, song or whatever. How do you approach choosing uh, a song? Okay. Choosing a song. So in this context, just to clarify a little bit, we're talking about choosing a song on my own volition, right? Not being assigned something for a job, right? This is like... Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, let's say if you're going to do, like, an 8-bit right. song. So as far as choosing something on my own volition to arrange, it really is, like something about the song has to jump out at me, you know, and, and give me the seed of an idea. So I'll, I'll listen to a song and sometimes it won't jump out at me immediately and I won't listen to it again. Maybe I'll come back to it and, uh, in something will, or sometimes it won't, but, um, it's really about like what you do as a producer, arranger, orchestrator, whatever you want to call it is you hear unrealized potential in a piece of music. Right. And then you realize that potential. And in order to do that, you have to have a built in vocabulary of flavors and sounds and textures in your head from lots of listening and trial and error and doing stuff to to have those ideas be like a soup in your head to say like, oh, I hear that video game song. And, you know, what would be cool is if I did this like this kind of thing, which I've heard from this and this kind of thing and this genre and this. And so what triggers that is hearing like some inkling of a thing to latch on to this is so abstract, but like just something that <laughs> reminds me of something else, you know? Right. For mm -hmm. example, right. taking like a, a pop tune 
from a video game like uh, Still Alive, which was this sort of like indie pop, uh, twee pop thing, and then turning it into like a Frank Sinatra tune, there, I was working on doing this other gig for The Marvelous Miss Maisel, producing like these Frank Sinatra style mock-ups. And so that was in there. And then I was listening. I've always wanted to do Still Alive. And something about, something about that melody removed from its original context hit my head in the right way at the right time to be like oh this could be like a swing thing this could be swung yeah. if i sing the melody swinging <laughs> this can be swung this yeah. was a song can, yeah exactly like it it just like some inkling of that triggered some other inkling in my brain and so it really is this sort of like thing that gets that gets triggered based on my previous experience as a musician and i can't tell when or why it's going to happen and sometimes I'll start on a piece of music that I want to arrange and it won't happen. I'll be like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'll put this away. Or sometimes something will happen and it won't, it'll take a long time. For example, I arranged this Tetris thing and, you know, I know I want to arrange the theme from Tetris. And I had this idea and be like, oh, this is a Russian, this is a Russian folk song. So why don't I put in like some Tchaikovsky? So I put in like this, you know, like, okay, cool. Like oh, what, what else is Russian? You know, it's, so it's like making these leaps, these creative leaps of ideas first that just jump out at you and then you can yeah. follow them up with the actual arranging. It's so funny <laughs> when you go into Tetris at your live show and you can just see the entire crowd. Like Tetris is a universal game for like people of our totally. age, you know, like I grew up with the original Game Boy. It was the first game I yeah, ever had. Like right. that's, and I had the music, my parents wanted to kill me. Yeah. Like, turn the volume <laughs> off. But uh, no, it's just so fun to like watch people like jump. They're like, oh my God, like it's I know Tetris. this, like, cause yeah. some of the shit that you do is like very abstract, which totally. is like, really really what is i think what a lot of the your like true hardcore fans like appreciate i would say yeah is that you're, you go deep i get like, a lot of really requests deep. to do even like deeper cuts and deeper cuts i have to i kind of have to put a line i'm like no some <laughs> people need to know these video game songs you know yeah i am just sitting here laughing to my to myself because i've played tetris many a times and i i'm not a huge video game person I don't think I could tell you what the song is to Tetris. But if you heard You'd it. You'd know it if you heard it. But if you I'm heard sure it. I would. Yeah. I'm sure yeah, I would if, if I heard it. But I'm just like replaying all the times I've played Tetris in my mind. Like, what is the music? I've dun, never dun, paid dun, attention dun, to dun, the music dun, dun, yeah. in video yeah. games. Like, but it would, tr it would trigger you if you heard it. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure it would. I'm sure it would. I'll do a little I'm even thinking now. back oh. to when we, a few weeks ago, when we were playing Mario Kart at Pete and Nathan's. Okay, like, yeah. I don't. I don't hear the. I guess it's because she's so focused I suck. Trying to win. That's what it is. I suck so bad that I can only focus on one thing, right. and I have to like that really tune my ears out. Yeah. <laughs> Were you yeah. playing? Oh, you're playing funny. like the new the new Mario Kart on. Yeah. That's yeah. Fine. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Mario Couldn't Kart. Tell you what the music was. Though. The Mario Kart video we did. Uh, the Mario Kart video we did with you was like so much fun because as they were as we were like filming, I don't know if a lot of people know this, as we were filming the actors. Uh, in the studio, they were actually playing the game, and what people were seeing on screen was actual gameplay mm -hmm. that you cut that yeah. same day that we were there filming. Right. Um, it's it's really you know uh, there was a whole lot of care that was like we turned our studio into like a nineteen nineties <laughs> basement. Like basement. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. so fun, man. It was, it was so like cool. so awesome. Yeah. That was such a great project. We'll we'll link that video and some of the other videos in yeah. the show notes, so if people want to yeah take a deep dive. Uh, I did want to chat a little bit about, um, we, we recently just, uh, shot like some more pilot material for this project that we're working on and we never really got a chance to like debrief. Yeah. What was that experience like for you kind of doing the like docu-series style can, format? Can you too, can you explain yeah. what it is? Do you... I, yeah, okay. I can definitely explain. So we're working on, uh, we're kind of in development, uh, working with Charlie on this project where Charlie... Um, goes to different places around the world, which has been hard with Corona. Um, <laughs> but he meets these really interesting musicians who play instruments that Charlie is interested in and kind of wants to add to his repertoire. Um, but the 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 broader stroke of the brush of the show is that it's it's really about culture and how music kind of brings everyone together. Um, and we got to uh, interview and sit down with a gentleman named Max ZT, who was this incredible hammered dulcimer, dulcimer player. And uh, it was it was very eye-opening for me to kind of watch you guys talk about how 
Max thinks about the philosophy of the instrument, and I think there was a moment where I kind of saw your your like a not not necessarily a light bulb, but I saw your mind kind of change on some things, because he was just like it's a very you have to be present kind of an instrument, and it was interesting to see you interact with him on that. I was wondering if you wanted to just kind of chat a little bit about that. Yeah, you know what was so interesting about that is getting like getting into the philosophy of playing music is you know that instrument has allowed Max to. Uh, travel to a number of different world cultures and study not only like the mechanics of that those uh, styles of music and those systems of organizing music but also like the philosophy behind playing that music and uh, you know a lot of the stuff he was studying is so improvisational which means that like you know that that expressing yourself through the instrument is so intrinsically tied into your mental state and where you are and who you are and m so many other world cultures put a lot of emphasis on what that means, you know, and what that means for your mental state and what that means for your mental health. Like, you know, what that means for the sort of transcendental nature of playing the instrument. And, and the, uh, I feel like we have a similar thing in jazz and that we are improvising as a group and as a unit, but we don't put a lot of study or emphasis, certainly not in any jazz school, maybe some teachers, but we don't put a ton of emphasis on like, what that means mentally, you know, like what, what sort of mental place you have to be in in order to feel like you're free, you're free of mental blocks to express yourself on this instrument and you're free of self judgment so that you can just play, you know, and that like, we don't talk about that in Western music education at all, you know? And in fact, I'd say we do more of the opposite. There's so much competition. There's so much emphasis put on being the best, you know, and being the and practicing the most and like being the, being the playing the fastest, you know? And so like, it's it's just refreshing to be reminded that like those kinds of things can stand in your way and so many other cultures of music because they put so much more emphasis on like the enlightening aspects of being a musician it's just nice to communicate with someone who's so fresh on that way of thinking and it's been a while since i've i've thought about it so it was really cool to sort of like be reminded <laughs> um no that's a great no that, yeah. i feel like that was a a great um Way to put it. Yeah, his... Have his... you played the... It's called the dulcimer? Hammer yeah. dulcimer. Hammer yeah. dulcimer. Have you played the hammer, dul hammer dulcimer before? <laughs> I had never played one before that day, no. And did you feel you like... You fooled me, man. <laughs> yeah, okay, so we something we haven't said, correct me if I'm wrong, you can play... 70 more than 70 instruments? Yeah, I mean, the New York Times made me take out all the instruments I owned and we got to 70. <laughs> The, the, wow. the truth of that somewhat sensationalized headline is that <laughs> we were counting the double. We were counting doubles of each instrument. They said, count every instrument you own. I said, okay, well, you know, I have three guitars. So, <laughs> so I'd say like different, like pure, you know, but I mean, you, it's kind of, you can fudge Sorry, it, right? Because like, like, you know, a nylon string guitar, an electric guitar, a jazz guitar, uh, you know, like, yeah. are these different but instruments? Still, still different. They're still different. Like, they have different playing techniques, you know. Like, play, just because you can play metal guitar doesn't mean you can play jazz guitar. So, like, you sure. know, you can yeah. sort of fudge it. <laughs> but I do play a ton of different types of instruments for sure. I have lots of yeah. lots of brass instruments around from tuba, French horn, and trumpet, woodwinds. I've got six sizes of recorders on my wall. I'm a lot of guys. I feel, like, I feel like Max also, like, kind of threw a wrench in you in that his tuning wasn't necessarily yeah, he had one string tuning. one string that he tunes differently as a way of like as an extended technique like specialty thing which mm. which was okay we could work around it but the thing about learning instruments that means that i was able to you know jump forward from not the very basics of the hammer dulcimer even though i had never played it right it's learning instruments is like learning languages not that i'm like a polyglot but once you learn sort of one family of language, you know, if you learn Spanish, then it's easier to jump to other romance languages that have a similar mm -hmm. grammatical structure, right? So like French, Italian, they have different vocabulary and different accents, but the structure of them is a lot of similarities. So like yeah. when you learn different families of instruments, you can apply them to other things. Once you learn how one pipe with holes in it works, you know what I mean? Like yeah. <laughs> there's, only, there's only so many ways to make sound. You, you got a pipe with holes, yeah. you can buzz your lips, you can hit something, you can pluck something, you can stretch a string, you know? Yeah. And so like the hammer dulcimer is like, okay, I can, I, I played the drum. So I, I, I have sticking technique and right. I, you know, understand, um, like what it means to like hit strings and like what strings are. So like it was easy and I have, I have training as a tonal, you know, notes. So like once I figure out where the notes are, 
I can at least jump into like, okay, now wh how is this, this what are the specifics of this instrument as opposed to being like, what do I do with these hammers? What is this thing? You know, yeah. I I have to look this up because I have no idea what a hammer dulcimer looks like. It's like a they it's call a, it a, they call it a lumberjack piano <laughs> because you're talking about plucking and stringing and hitting this instrument, and I my mind is kind well, of well. In this case, you have these like bit. little hammers made of oh, wood. Yeah, yes, yes, you, you yes. take these wood hammers and you bounce them off of all the strings that are on there. Yes, but it's okay. like drums because they bounce, and so you can roll them like a drum. You know, you can like you play the, yeah. you play it percussively, but it's like laid out. It's actually laid out unlike anything else. It's it's very. It was weird for me to figure out the organization of the notes, but once you can get that, yeah. then you can at yeah. least start to figure out what's going on. But that's you know that's kind of the uh, that's kind of like the gist of of the show. There's there's yeah. like there are uh, you know it's it's a lot about music and a, a lot about like what does that mean yeah. in the context of a culture that we're in. So obviously it's hard to film this the way you want it to be because there are such travel restrictions yeah. right now but are there any places or instruments that you would like to learn places you would like to go where so you feel like i i haven't really dove into this lane because knowing that you can play uh, we'll say quote unquote 70 yeah. plus instruments i have to imagine that there aren't that many avenues where you haven't really explored. Yeah, I mean, there, there are so many instruments in the world. There are yeah. so many instruments in the world. And even if we got to a number like 70, I mean, most of those are like Western instruments, you know? I yeah. mean, there's, there's well over 70 just Western instruments. And so there's tons of, of musical traditions around the world that I really know uh, next to nothing about. For example, like... I, you know, I really want to go to like uh, a country in West Africa that has an instrument called the kora, which is this like very cool harp that sits in your lap that you that you play like this that we mm -hmm. talked about with Max a lot, actually, because he said he studied in Senegal. Is that true? Yeah. Senegal, yeah. yeah. So they have kora there. Uh, you know, th there's a, a whole culture of instruments associated with West Africa that I know nothing about, really. Uh, you know, there's tons of of Middle Eastern instruments that I know and Turkish instruments that I know very little about like the saz, you know, the tar. Uh, these are all these are string instruments that ha, you know have necks that are similar to guitar. I don't, I don't know anything about them or even the oud which I've played a little bit of the oud, but it's another Middle yeah. Eastern instrument. The duduk is a wind instrument. I mean there's just like I could go on for 6 hours, you know, and I have I've only named two small areas of the world. <laughs> You know, more more on that to come uh, for sure as we're yeah. in the, we're in the process of uh, post production on that. I'm very excited, and the stuff that we got is is is, is super exciting. But yeah. just wanted to let let people know that you know you have a lot of uh, different projects that you're working on, and it's been really fun to work on this with you to kind of see, you know, because not that we keep keep anything a secret from you, but it's really cool for you to just ha have things kind of set up. We want to like create these experiences totally. for you and like. You know, because my my I really like the idea of setting up these really cool scenarios. To I like watching people get excited and and do what they do, and like that's exactly what this is. So it's very selfish for me, uh, to, to be honest with you. But um, yeah, I've been uh, I've been very very excited about it. It's a super yeah. cool project. Um, yeah. Are you? Well, I was gonna ask. So speaking of kind of like fantasizing, going down this this avenue of all the different instruments that you play. Two questions. If you had to choose, I won't make you choose one instrument because I imagine that would be very challenging, but we'll just say one type of instrument. Like forever? Like, no, not maybe not forever, just like if you Okay, yes, forever. If you had to choose only one type of instrument, maybe that's string, maybe that's like guitar or yeah, sure. drums. Right. Could could you pick? Yeah, I mean, I feel close. I feel, I guess I feel most at home on instruments with necks. You know, okay. so like that's so broad. Yeah, <laughs> good answer. But it is a good answer. Good, good answer. answer. I love it. Not bowed instruments with necks. You know what I mean? Not Got just it. plucking. Okay. Yeah. Let me fretted instruments with necks. So like guitars, <laughs> banjos, mandolins, ukuleles, yeah. basses, uh, nice. any anything like that's sort of like that. I'm looking around the room. I've, yeah. there's, there's on my walls all, all sorts of things that fall into that category from other countries. You got a cavaquinho from Brazil. There's the vihuela from Mexico. You got the trace from Cuba. There's a sitar here from India. 
all those things have frets and necks. So there you go. <laughs> nice. What was your second question? Um, my second question is because you do a lot of, um, you do like orchestrating and producing and um, arranging for TV and film and your big band projects. If you had to stick towards one direction. Which I hope never happens. But which I also hope never happens. <laughs> do you like one more than the other or does it... Cause I get this question a lot for me, like I teach yoga and mm -hmm. Pilates and mm -hmm. CrossFit and dance. Right. And so a lot of people ask me like, well, what's your favorite? And for me, it's depends on the kind of mood I'm in and the kind of day I've had. Right. So wondering if you have a favorite or if you could. What yeah. are you into now? Maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think anything that involves anything that involves a large amount of musicians that play together, I think is just the thing that I'll always want to do. You know, mm -hmm. so yeah. yeah, orchestras of any kind in any situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you write for TV and film, do you do it all yourself, or do you work with a band? You know, it's sort of half and half. Like I just scored a film. Uh, I, I don't think I signed an NDA. I think I'm talking about this. I just scored this Billy Crystal movie <laughs> called Here Today, which will be coming out. Who knows? Because of Corona. Uh, yeah, but. The, you know, the sound of that film is sort of like somewhat orchestral with, with some jazz, with some synth elements. And, you know, if we were in the most ideal timeline, we probably would have done like a medium sized recording session with a bunch of string players and a bunch of horn players. But because of the time we're in, you know, I did a lot of it at home myself. Um, and then we were we hired a couple of ringer musicians that were better than me to play the you know various things so you know it de it depends it just all that the answer to that question i guess just yeah. really depends on budget honestly more than anything ideally mm, i would have I, yeah. ideally i would have played nothing myself i would have written out every single thing for an orchestra and we would have gone into a big recording session and done it but the the limitations of budget and you know social climate yeah. That's, yeah. That's, it is what it is now. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm just happy that you're working and, you know, totally. uh, still, still thriving. I mean, a lot of our, a lot of our creative friends and actor friends have, are just absolutely decimated because a lot of them are yeah. servers or, you know yeah. what I mean? So like there's Both two industries gigs. that just got yep. decimated. Yeah. So totally. a lot of our friends yeah. have actually moved out of New York. They're out of here. I know. Same. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a, it's a super bummer. Yeah. Um, do you have a, a dream job? Like, would you like to find your, um, I'll just say, would you like to find your Lin-Manuel and like work <laughs> only on Broadway or uh, you know, do you, do you have this? I love, I love Broadway. Dream? I love that. I love film. I love TV. You know, I want to tour with an orchestra, my own orchestra, hopefully, you know, I'm, I'm just starting to get, it's, you know, a lot in the past I used to say, well, I have this checklist, you know, and I want to check off these certain things like score film, orchestrate a Broadway show maybe compose a Broadway show at some point, you know, I have, I have this list, but the thing is, is I've slowly really checked off a lot of the things on that list, but then it becomes a matter of degree, you know, it's like, okay, score a film, score a film. Yeah. But now it's like score a major film, you know, like score a <laughs> yeah. film, you know, and like, yeah, yeah. so it's like check. And then I'll continue to check off the things. Uh, things are going really great. Obviously everything is paused right now and the future is grim and who knows, but you know, I've been checking off a lot of the things that I've always wanted to do. And now it's just a matter of like, doing them bigger and bigger. Yeah. I, I love that attitude of yeah. uh, checking things off and then upping the degree. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like you're leveling up. It's like, le yeah. It's like to, different levels. To exactly. Keep it in video game right. Terms. Exactly. One of the things we like to do is like, uh, did any, like what made you laugh this week? Anything in particular, like really tickle you? Yeah. I just watched this movie called hello. My name is Doris. Do you know that movie? No. I've heard of it, oh my but God. I don't it's think so, I've seen it. My girlfriend started a production company with uh, some of her friends who they've been working together a lot recently on like producing live streams and live events. And so they started this production company, uh, hopefully to produce, you know, more content, not just live stream stuff. But they're doing all this research on like on the sort of the history of rom-coms. And they're like, they, they you know, they've loved rom-coms, but rom-coms have been so up and down in quality over the years since they started in like yeah. the 40s. So we've been watching like all these rom-coms as sort of research and it's been really interesting, you know, to see how they've changed over the years and why some work and why some don't work and why some have held up and why some have really not. And some that are considered like the legendary rom-coms that if you take the nostalgia out of them are like, you're not super, not that you know, great. Not that yeah. Great. yeah like, <laughs> you know, I don't know. So, but then some that are like really hilarious. And as it turns out, I think the thesis is 
The rom-coms that are good put an emphasis on the equal balance of power between the two parties and character oh. development. And if oh. the characters feel deep and fully developed, and it feels like both of the com, the rom partners have the same amount of control of the situation and power, then it can be really, you know, full of heart and humanizing. And one of those is this movie uh, from 2015 called Hello, My Name is Doris, in which like a 60 year old Sally Fields like has this total crush on this younger guy that works in the office that she's sort of like a dinosaur at. And she you learn about like, you know, her relationship with her mother was really stunted. And so she had arrested development. So she's basically a teenager and. It, it's just oh, like wow. she's so charming and it feels so real and it takes place in New York and what and it's just so good the tone of it is really 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 heartwarming and and it's re really well thought out characters and it's really funny she's so funny in this movie as a 60 year old like sort of becoming friends with these Williamsburg like 20 something <laughs> and like finding herself through like doing that as she never got the chance to really be herself and now she like it's a coming of age story of this 60 year old I love woman that. who never got a chance to like dress crazily and go to fun rock shows and knit and join a knitting circle with a bunch of hipsters. Uh, I know. love that. It's, it's really funny. I, I really recommend it. All right. Yeah. We'll check it out. What about, what about you, Alex? Anything funny? Um, other than my stomach. Yeah. Well, last night, last night, I, maybe you'll appreciate this. Um, his stomach was making so many noises. It was changing <laughs> octaves. Oh my God. It was going up and down and it was like asking questions. It was like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was screaming for help. Yeah. It was, was really on. making me laugh because we're both sitting reading and there's no sound. We're in a, base Only we're in a dark stomach. basement that's like really wow. quiet. And so you can just hear everything down wow, there. Wow, that so. is so funny. Yeah. Oh, I was really chuckling. Yeah. Um, I, I was, we were, we started watching, I, I mean, Alex has seen it already. I started watching The Good Place and um, it took me like a minute to get into it. And then I took an edible and like, <laughs> it was like right in the middle of like the heaviest philosophy episodes. Yeah. And so I Have was like. Have you seen the show? No, but it's about like, uh, they're in heaven, I want to say. They're in right? hell. They're in hell. Yeah. Essentially. Well, spo spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, but no, it's they like. They think they're in heaven, but yeah. they're actually in hell. Wow. But like, it took me like getting a little stone to be like, oh, oh, uh, that, okay. Wow. It's like, a very specific kind it. of humor. And it's it a very now. like cerebral humor. It's, yeah. it's really good. I mean, it's, it's a good Michael Schur, so, but that, right. that show definitely made okay, me chuckle check a few out. times. I've heard I'm, it's I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm into it. It took, it took me like, Almost the whole season. Almost the whole season it. to get into it, but right. I'm, I'm like into it now. Glad you stuck um, it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, if uh, people um, wanna, if people wanna find you, uh, what's the best place for them to search for you at? Other oh, than oh, you know, C you know, and Music on Instagram, Twitter, the Ape at Big Band on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. You know, just if you just search Charlie Rosen Music on Google, I'm sure it'll come up. <laughs> There's a way. Google me. Yeah, and we'll we'll link all of the things, and uh, so it's a little bit easier if people listening wanna wanna watch things or, or listen. Awesome. So. Well, Charlie, I really appreciate you taking the time, man. Thank you so much. This has been really fun. Yeah, and, my pleasure. Uh, Talk to you bye. later. Bye. Somewhere quiet we can go